welcome back to 10 and 20, official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. My name's Brad. This week on the podcast, we will be discussing the life of Mariah Reddick. Mariah was an enslaved woman at Carnton, but her life was much more than just that. Talking with me today is my coworker, the Battle of Franklin Trust's Director of African and African American History, Christy Farrow. This will be the first of a two-part series on Mariah. Let's jump into it. basically starts the way a lot of enslaved people, how their story starts. She was born into slavery in Mississippi. And as early as we can tell, there is a family story that says she was purchased for Carrie McGavick. So her father purchased her. I don't know. That's a family story. However, it would make sense. Um, And it says she was purchased when she was about 10 years old. So when Carrie married John McGavick in 1848, um, Mariah was given to Carrie as a gift. Mariah would have been about 14 years old at that time. That is the most consistent age. There is no exact age for her. However, every single census record lists her um, being born about 1834. So we're going to take that number and uh, that date and go with it. So when Carrie married John and she moved from Louisiana here, essentially Mariah came along with her. Yes. Okay. Well, Mariah was given to Carrie at that time. And all of this was very, very legally deeded. A lot of times for Southern men, it was a way to give their daughters independence and property separate from their husbands. And so Mariah was the first of five slaves that Van Winder gifted to his daughter with deeds. And and so for Carrie and Mariah both, this was like going to a brand new state and embarking on an entire new, new life. What do we know about Mariah's role here at Carnton? Most of the stuff that we do know about Mariah are the things that we know about her after the Civil War. So the things before the Civil War are very sort of haphazard, like where you piece things together and you find little details and you're like, okay, so that makes sense. We know that um, she was, as still a young girl, about 1853, was married off to a much older man. Harvey Odie was almost 20 years older than her and she was a teenager and he was he was a slave as well of a neighboring family family of the McGavicks actually John Odie and John Odie's brother was James Odie who was the minister at St. John's he was So a, these were relatives of Carrie and John relatives of Carrie and John and and one of their slaves Harvey yes, and that's very common sometimes you would have these families on neighboring neighboring farms neighboring plantations neighboring homes even who were slave owning homes but the white families would be interconnected and so would the the black families with you know in, within the enslaved population so that's absolutely and completely sort of normal now you said um, she was married off do you so you she don't think this was choose. a relationship that they had? No. Was, okay. Uh, uh, there is one specific account that said that her her first husband was chosen for her. So Harvey Odie, in my estimation, is most likely the one that was chosen for her. that. What did say that? I think in one of her obituaries, it was often the the white family that would pick the spouse for their slaves. So in in the book, The Slaves War. Do you know that book? Mm-hmm. At the there's a point in Reconstruction where the white families were telling some of the enslaved people, you have to go get married now. And there was a, an account that Andrew Ward, the author, gave, and he, he said that the slaves said, wait, I'm not married to her? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not married to her? 
because a lot of times your spouses were chosen for you. It wasn't choice. So I think that's one of the things that freedom brought to Mariah. She did get to choose her own husband at that time. But Harvey died in 1863. She had eight children with Harvey. She had two sets of twins with Harvey. She lived here at Carnton. I am, I, I do not think that Harvey lived here with her. It's possible, um, but my guess is they they had one of those marriages where you had just a couple days a week when you were able to go back and forth, maybe Harvey, because it's not that far. Um, the Odies lived right up Lewisburg Pike, not too far, so closer to the town of Franklin. So so the the owning families, the white families would have arranged this relationship. Yes. And then who did the children belong to? That's a sad thing to even say that question, but like did, did Mariah's children belong to Carrie then? Yes. Okay. So you got your status as a slave from your mother. Whoever owned your mother owned you. Van Perkins Winder by giving his daughter five slaves, what he did was he gave her property and it says separate from her husband in her own use for the rest of her life. And it gave her the availability for her property to increase because of the of the five slaves that he gave her, he gave her a 14-year-old girl named Mariah. So just to be clear, right now we're talking about Carrie McGavick's dad yes. who gifted her five slaves over yes. the course of her adult life. Yes. And Carrie McGavick was the one who owned Mariah right. Reddick. So um, Van Winder gave Carrie um, Mariah, who was 14. He gave her Mary Ellen, who was 11. He gave her Gabriel, who was nine. And then he purchased on the square here in Franklin, Frankie, who was in her 30s, and Andrew, who was about four. So she had five slaves at this point, and three of them were females. And by 1860, those females had given birth to children. So by 1860, she owned 15 slaves in her own right. So of the 44 slaves that John McGavick owned, in 1860, 15 of those were carries. Now, do you think that, like practically here on a day-to-day basis here at Carnton, that the the slaves, the enslaved people that Carrie owned would have been living a different life than the other enslaved people here on the property? Like, would, there, would they have intermixed with one another? Absolutely, they would have intermixed. But I do think that Carrie slaves were primarily house slaves because they were for her usage. And where is where where are the things that she needs to get done? They're here at the house. I think that that is specifically one of the purposes of giving slaves to your daughter when she's moving away. You're not just giving her independence and property and investment and all of that. You're giving her almost ways to take care of herself here and to do the things that she needs to do. I absolutely, Frankie was most likely the cook. She was the cook after the Civil War. So my guess is she was doing a lot of those things before the Civil War as well. Mariah, I think was Carrie's personal slave, taking care of her, taking care of her clothes, even helping to take care of her children, really. Now, Gabriel died in eight, just a couple years after he was brought here. He was just, he was a 14 year old boy and he was playing on a mule sideways and sort of fell off and broke his neck and died. And think about that. She has 15 slaves with a slave that's already passed away by this point. And Mariah had children that died. Imagine if there, you know, the mortality had been higher. Wait, would that be higher or lower? The mortality, the death rate would have been lower. So imagine more of the children survived into yes, adulthood. Yes, if more of the children had survived to adulthood, what, how many slaves she would have owned. Because Mariah had twins, but not all of her children survived. So her, her children... By, I mean, she's, she outlived most of her children. That's crazy. Yeah, isn't it? Wow. I mean, when you think about, you know, the kids that we have today and 
you have a 50-50 shot and it was lower for enslaved peoples. The the um, survival rate for their children w- was lower. So Now, what other things do we know about Mariah's life prior to the war? I mean, are there, are there things that we can say definitively now or are there things that just in general we know because she w- because of the role that she mm-hmm. had, we know what kind of things she would have been doing, but do we have any specifics on her life prior to the war? No, I researched Carrie. Like, there's an instance. John owned a plantation right next to Ducrow called St. Bridget. And um, they would go down there for winter months down to um, Terrebonne Parish, and they would be there. And they would stay at hotels. And I have a little thing on here that talks about there's a, their wife. It says John McGavick, a lady, two children, and servant, all there with him. And I'm like, that's Mariah. That would be Mariah. Absolutely. Mariah is Carrie's personal slave. She would have gone everywhere with Carrie, you know, 14 years old. She was given to her when she was 10 years old and she's with her for her entire life. So I I can do that. I can trace Carrie, but there's no, there's no name for Mariah. So before the war, when I'm looking at census records and things like that, I can pick Mariah out because I know what her description is and I know she's here. So in 1850, Mariah is listed on the slave schedules being owned by John McGavick, 17 years old, mulatto female. That's all the description. No name or anything. No name, anything like that. So when they started taking censuses about before 1850, any census that was taken, only the male head of household was listed unless it was a female head of household, which is not as common, but it did happen. Widows, things like that. So everyone else before 1850 is listed as a hash mark. So if you, your wife, and your son were on a census record in 1840, it would be your name, and then your wife would be a hash mark, and your son would be a hash mark, and that's all. Mm. But they had slaves that way as well. So in 1850 is the first time that white families and free people of color were marked individually by name. Every person in the household was listed. So that was 1850 and 1860. And then slaves are still, what they did at that point is they don't have slaves on the same schedule. They moved them to a different census schedule. And the slave owner is listed. And then it lists all his slaves individually by race, gender, and age. And so Mariah, I I know which one she is on both the 1850 and the 1860 census, just because I know her description. Mm. And in on the 1860 census specifically, and she's just about the age, so it 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 backs up born about 1834. So that is helpful as well because there's only one census that she sort of listed as much younger or much older, much younger. I don't know. I could, we'd have to do the math, right? Um, <laughs> But um, the 1861, she's listed, and she's listed as her, her and then the children that she had that were still alive, and Harvey is not there. One, Harvey wasn't owned by the McGavick family. He could have been staying in her. It was really not that far, you know, right down the road. He could have been coming back here daily. I just, we don't know that, and I, I don't like to assume mm-hmm. or, or make a guess. When's the first yeah. time we hear Mariah's name pop up, or we see it pop up in the record? In 18... 18- 67 the race riots here in franklin so we don't hear anything of her name until after the war like no no records of of her name until that point exactly wow yeah i don't i didn't realize that no there's nothing with her name on it until 1867 now yeah i don't even know of any firsthand accounts from family or anything like that but we don't have letters we don't have journals we don't have things like that i'm absolutely certain she would have been in those documents you know i mean carrie absolutely would have mentioned her 
and when you research other people, they're talking about the people they see on a daily basis. Mariah would have been with Carrie all the time she since she was 10 years old and Carrie was 14 so I don't know 15 so 1867 there were race riots in downtown Franklin and, well, b- before we get there we mm-hmm. should talk about what happens to Mariah during the war Mariah during the war was actually sent down to Birmingham Alabama John sent the majority of his slaves down to Alabama farther south not just Alabama most likely into Terrebonne Parish as well we can't prove that but that makes the most likely sense it was this was a this was a slave owning farm in a US held area you send your slaves south it's a way to protect your investment and Mariah was sent to Birmingham now in her obituary it says she worked in the family of Jefferson Davis okay so this story right here the the winder family Carrie's family they were very good friends with the Howell family. And Verenia Howell was married to Jefferson Davis. Oh, okay. So in my guesstimation, and they lived in Birmingham at this point. They had a home there. So in, in my guesstimation, she's going down there and she's most likely working with the Howell family. Because that's not Jefferson Davis, but it's in the family. So it's in that wording in her obituary. Okay. Right? Not in Jefferson Davis's house but in the family of Jefferson Davis. So, and that story comes from Mariah's obituary. Mariah's obituary. Okay. It says she was uh, working in the in the family of Jefferson Davis. So, That's an interesting way to do Out of anything they could pick up on to describe her life, they say she worked for family of Jefferson Davis. Like that's the most important thing for the well, people who wrote it later on. Well, when they were writing that obituary, the obituary was making her out to be a very loyal negress, um, very, you know well-behaved just and that what you just said was directly from like you didn't just use that phrase out of your head like that's actually what was in her obituary a loyal negress yeah that's what it says yeah one of the lines let me find the line so i can read it to you because i do think that that line it just is striking when you read it this is what it says it says this fine old character has hardly an equal left among her race in this town it's like she leaves one son and Hardly an equal left. And they call her... Among her race. Among her race. Hardly... I mean, if they had said... uh, If they had just left it at that, hardly an equal left, you're like, oh, that's such a nice thing to say. But among her race... That changes the tone of the whole thing, doesn't it? Yeah, and it says, much beloved negress. And also in her obituary, which I'll go ahead and mention. I was going to mention it at the end, just because Mariah was very well liked. She was loved. She was respected. She was... You can tell just in that last line right that people liked her they genuinely liked her this isn't something people pretended but in her obituary it says very little negro blood flowed through her veins and because her obituary was a good portion of the front page of the newspaper locally and that one line was the justification to put her on the front of the newspaper like we like her she's black but she's mostly white she's white enough yeah we can put her on the front of the newspaper it's the same thing with um, Dick Pointer, who was that he was a chairmaker, local free man of color. When he died in the 19th century, um, I was reading his obituary very recently. It w- popped up online, and it said, "Though he was a Negro, he was a very good man." Oh man! Right, that's the justification for people that they liked. Yeah, they liked, and that's them. what they're, they're trying to convey: how much they like and respect yes. these people, but they're doing it in a very very backhanded way or at so, least it comes across to us it, now it, like that yes for us it is for them they were saying regardless of the fact that they're black they're still good right 
And for us, we look at it. But this is for me when I'm on tour and I have the opportunity because I tell different stories very, very often. But when I talk about Mariah, sometimes, you know, like I just read that obituary recently about um, Dick Pointer. So I'll add that in. For me, it's very evident how far we've come because I see stuff like that. And I see stuff, and I know that would not be in the newspaper today. Sure. That so for me, it's this beautiful illustration to make you make us and to help me un- make other people understand how far we've come in this country, you know, especially with with race because we don't always see it. It's hard just because we have so far to go. When you have so far to go, it's hard to see how far you've come. Hmm. And those two lines are really simple lines to make people understand that. And honestly, um, I never noticed that line, the fine old character has hardly an equal left among her race in this town. I might start to use that as well because I think that that is a beautiful line to really be an illustration for that fact to make people appreciate and understand how far we've come in this country because it's not always evident. It's really not. So let's go back to her her story chronologically. So she was sent farther south during the war. Essentially, she was loaned to relatives of Jefferson Davis. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And do we know anything about what she was doing there? She was giving birth to a child. That's what she was doing. She was pregnant when she left. Oh. So she gave birth in February, and Harvey, her husband, died in March here in Franklin. So he was not down there. So he is buried here, actually, in a marked grave in the city cemetery. That's very interesting. Very interesting. So he dies in 1853, and she... Has uh, Harvey, she named her baby Harvey, who was born in February of 1863 in Alabama. And we know she is in Alabama. So, okay, so really quickly, I'm going to show you how we sort of match things up to understand how we can try to reinforce a, a family story. Okay. So we have the story that she was sent to Birmingham, right? We have, you know, sent down to, to yep. Alabama. Her obituary says she was in Birmingham with a family in the family of Jefferson Davis. And so we're like, how do you prove that she was in Alabama? We know she gave birth to her son in 1863. So we look up every single document about him, and he always gives his birthplace as Alabama. So it's one of those things that can help cement a family story is you find a document, you know, or several documents in Harvey's case that tell when he was born. And then you have almost, you know, like it's proof. Yeah, you find corroborating it's, it's, evidence. Yes, which corroborating lead- evidence. So yeah. it's as good as you're going to get for... Um, a lot of enslaved genealogy is you find evidence that sort of um, either helps to support a family story or discounts a family story. Mm. So, but that's pretty much the same with all genealogy. Families tell all kinds of stories and you have to weed your way through them. <laughs> that's what you have to do. Um, Mariah would have come back. She, she did come back. And interestingly enough, of all the slaves John McGavick sent south, the only ones that I can actually track coming back and follow their lives afterwards are Frankie and Mariah. So two of the slaves that carry on. Yes. Don't you think that's interesting? I mean, I don't know if there's a reason behind that or what, but... Um, Mariah never lived here again. She came back. She was here by 1867. We know that because she is living over in the Bucket of Blood neighborhood here in Franklin. Which so Mariah is free at this point. Free. A slavery is abolished in the United States. Yes, and she came back. Okay, so let's go back. We're going to do this chronologically. Okay. So her obituary says that she brought back a man named Bull and Reddick with her from Birmingham and married him. Um, however, I, I think... There are a couple options that we have here because this can't 100% be proved so as of yet. But there are, after the war, family members who were enslaved 
put advertisements in the newspapers looking for their family members because families were sold off to different regions of the country and you were looking for the people you loved you wanted Mm -hmm. to put your families back together so there was an ad in the nashville newspapers bolin reddick's sister had put an advertisement in the paper saying she was looking for her brother and he was sold off to nashville tennessee before the war so I think Bolin was already here. I think Bolin was already in this region. Um, they were married here in Williamson County, Bolin and Mariah, in 1866. The only other option would be that he was a slave that was sent south as well. Mm. But I can't prove that. So it could be that he was sold to Middle Tennessee before the war, and his owner sent him south, whether that be John or someone else, right? And so it could be that they did meet there and they came back together. Uh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like he was sold here. They were all like maybe a group of slaves were sent down to Birmingham and he came back with her. So it's possible that Bolin Reddick was owned by John McAvick as well. And that's why mm-hmm. he and Mariah knew each other. But regardless. But anyone who owned him, whoever had been the per- person who owned him, because it, it might, I mean, realistically, do we think John is the only one who sent his slave south? Surely not. Surely not. So it could have been anyone that owned him. If it wasn't John, it could have been a neighbor, and maybe they were all sent south. And then in Alabama, she created, you know, a relationship with this man and came back. And they were married in 1866. So pretty quickly here after in the Williamson war. County. Oh, absolutely. Here in Williamson County. She's here in 1866 in Williamson County getting married to Bolin Reddick. Who was, at this point, it's a man of her choosing. I mean, this is a yes. completely different life for her. Yeah. Imagine that. You get to choose who you spend the rest of your life with. <sighs> It's a good moment. What a novel idea. Right? I mean, sometimes when we think about slavery, we, we completely throw ourselves into the politics and the statistics and the institution just as an institution. And we don't realize that simple little things, it's not just voting. You know, it's not just um, getting paid for your labor. It's you get to choose who you spend your life with and who you have children with. So it's pretty amazing. That's a, a moment in her life for sure in 1866. I think that that would be almost a moment more amazing than the moment she got free because it was one of those moments that she got to choose. Right. Yeah, it's pretty great. And so by 1867, she and Bolin are living um, down in the Bucket of Blood neighborhood, which is just right in downtown Franklin. And was that back then a predominantly African-American neighborhood? Yes. Okay. So she is coming back to Franklin and navigating really a new world. Nobody knows how this new new normal is going to work, but Mariah really does just take freedom by the reins. She she never lived here at Carnton again. She did work for the family, but not in the aspect that that we would think like Frankie did. Frankie had a contract with the family. She solely worked for the family. Mariah actually worked for many family and for many families. She wasn't she was she became a sick nurse. So one of her stories in her obituary was that she down in Birmingham, Alabama, a Dr. Dentry who was from here in Williamson County was down there as well. And she started learning how to be a nurse from him. She came back and she lived right afterwards. She worked for, I think the Dr. Park family, because in 1868, she's living with the Jimmy Park family. And Jimmy Park was the son of Dr. Park here in Franklin. So being, you know, being a maid, being a a servant in their household. So it makes perfect sense because for the rest of her life, she's listed as a sick nurse. 
So I think a lot of times we say she was a midwife because she did deliver babies and she was present at the birth of their children. Um, but I think specifically she wasn't just just a midwife. She delivered babies, but she was also a sick nurse. She helped take care of people when they weren't feeling well or when they were sick. And also the McGavick descendant memories are that every time that they were in town, Mariah came to take care of them. Thanks again to Christy for appearing on this week's episode. We'll be back again in two weeks to cover the rest of Mariah's life story post-war. If you want to make sure not to miss an episode, subscribe on whatever podcast app you find the most convenient, whether that is the Apple Podcast app or some other. And while you're there, leave a review. Follow 10 and 20 on Instagram at 10 and 20 podcast, T-E-N-N-I-N 20 podcast. And follow what the Battle of Franklin Trust is up to by visiting our website, boft.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks.